The History Channel Original Podcast. Sports History This Week, September 29th, 1999. I'm Kalen Jones. It's just another hot day in Woodland Hills, California. Actually, let's rewind the tape. If you aren't careful, you might trip on a skateboard. In one corner of this office, you can see employees gathered around a TV watching a kickflip competition they filmed in office. Nearby, another employee stares at green text on a black computer screen, typing out lines of code. These are the offices of Neversoft Entertainment, who have been preparing for their latest video game launch, a game centered around skateboarding. They aren't sure how the game will do. Nothing like this has ever really existed. There are skateboarding video games, but none have blown up. The small studio is on a limited budget with just a year to make this game. To make it stand out, they want to attach someone or something well-known in the skater world to the game. To do that, they decide to bring in one of skateboarding's premier stars, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk Pro Skater. (laughs) In the 80s and 90s, Hawk dominated skating competitions, racking up more than 70 titles. He's known for inventing dozens of moves and for being the best vert or vertical skater. But attaching himself to a video game? I didn't have high expectations for the game. I mean, I was very proud of it. I just didn't think it was going to be something that would become a genre of games or, or become the single biggest financial success of my life. Today, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater hits shelves everywhere. We spoke with Hawk and makers of the game about the eventful early stages of the game's creation 23 years ago and the wild success of the franchise that continues on to this day. What was it that made this game so special? And how did it transform skateboarding into a national phenomenon? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's the summer of 1995 in Newport, Rhode Island. Tony Hawk is competing in the first ever X Games, at the time called the Extreme Games, which are being held inside what used to be a U.S. Army fort. Hawk drops into a halfpipe, you know, a big ramp with slopes at either end. 
He looks serious, but his attire is casual. Stickers are tacked onto his black helmet. He's wearing gray shorts and a baggy brown t-shirt. Rows of fans look on while sitting in the grass behind his fence advertising Advil. The legend, Tony Hawk, trying to beat an 89.0 score hosted by Rune Glickberg. The winner of this head-to-head matchup goes directly into the championship match. Hawk goes up and down the halfpipe, building speed. He shoots into the air, grabbing his board with one hand. On the other side, he holds onto the rail and lifts his body above him. The technical difficulty is just immense. A second later, he pulls off a 540, where he spins one and a half times, then grinds his skateboard against the top of the halfpipe. It's a perfect run. And there is your champion at the Extreme Games, and your champion for all time in skateboarding, Tony Hawk. By 1995, skateboarding's popularity has already gone through several peaks and valleys. While skateboarding first appeared in the 1940s, it rose and disappeared seemingly every decade. In the 60s, even celebrities like John Lennon and Katharine Hepburn were caught skating. By the 90s, the sport has cemented itself as a subculture. Tony Hawk is on a very short list of people who might be considered a professional skater. It may still be a niche sport, but skateboarding is gaining popularity fast, in part thanks to the X Games. With the sport on an upswing, a video game publisher called Activision wants a piece of the pie. They want to make a game to appeal to this small but passionate fan base. Scott Pease was a video game designer with Activision who served as one of the two leads for the project. He thought this, quote, skate game was a good idea. I had skated as a kid and everything, so I was just super excited about that. I'd played 720, you know, like <laughs> all through my youth and everything. So I was like, please, please, let's, let's make this happen. Activision had recently worked with a video game developer called Neversoft Entertainment. Together, they produced an action game called Apocalypse with Bruce Willis. Drop one on, it's time to jam! We knocked out the game very you know, reasonable quality and a reasonable amount of time, and Activision was very happy with that. This is Mick West, a co-founder of Neversoft and the other game lead for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. They kind of fingered us as the people who were going to maybe do a skateboarding game. So Neversoft would be developing this game, but nobody had ever made anything like this before. There are few other home console skateboarding games. So in the early stages of development, they had to look to arcade games for reference. They would go over to this bowling alley across the street from their office. It had an arcade where they could play top skate. It's this game where you can control a character and catch huge air while skating downhill, nailing tricks along the way. They did kind of lead us down the wrong path, actually, at the start of the game, because we kind of uh, thought, oh, this is what a skateboarding game should be like, which was this, these very linear levels where you were just basically skating downhill. Neversoft's game, currently dubbed Skate, is now in development. The publisher, Activision, has another request, though that some person or property attached their name to it. Rather than just Activision skateboarding game, maybe it could be Thrasher Magazine skateboarding game. 
Scott Pease says, licensing is a way of reducing risk. If you put a name on something, there's a built-in audience. So he does some digging. It was a mix of pros and magazines and other things, but Tony's name hit all the marks and he was at the top of that list. So that's where we started, trying to reach out to Tony and see if he'd be interested. Tony, as in Tony Hawk. Was there anything else that made him appealing, I guess, to be the face of the skateboarding game? I mean, I think it was just, it was a mix of the fact that he was still skating and still relevant. So we knew he would kind of be known to a wide swath of of gamers, right? Like the older gamers would know him from that. The younger kids would know him from what he was kind of currently doing in the industry. So they call him in for a meeting. The plan? Convince him to become the face of their game. Hawk remembers that day well. I went to Activision. I, I went into a boardroom. That's Tony Hawk, the legendary skater, the inventor of countless tricks. We were lucky enough to talk to him for this story. There were a bunch of, of people there in suits. He was like wearing ripped up cargo pants and a t-shirt and <laughs> rolls into this like boardroom with all these guys in suits and they're throwing PowerPoint numbers at him and like revenue charts and all this stuff. I could see him just getting super bored and sinking into his chair. <laughs> But then, the Activision folks pull out an old-school TV cart with a PlayStation plugged in. I fired it up, and it was Bruce Willis on a skateboard with a gun strapped to his back, skating through a desert. We got to put the controller in Tony's hands, and he just lit up like he was super into it. There was a spark that I saw where the controls were intuitive. You could ollie, you could kickflip. You could move, and there was also this sort of free roaming aspect. And so I signed on, I think, like that next day. So Tony Hawk is in, and the gameplay is largely figured out. But there was still something missing. At the time, there were some other games out there, and they just felt like they were just kind of slapping the skateboarding on a game where you're rolling around on a skateboard, but not really diving into the culture. And I, I don't know, we just, we had a whole bunch of people at Neversoft who were very into skate culture, and we wanted to do it right. Hawk felt the same way. There's no way I was going to exploit skating for something it wasn't just to have success in a video game. I felt very strongly that if, if we have this new technology, We should show off what skating really is. If the game was going to succeed, it couldn't just appeal to gamers. It had to speak to skaters. It would tap into a whole new market. Neversoft has one year to make this game. It's stressful, but it's also kind of fun. It was a bunch of young guys, really, just uh, having fun and making a game, and we had a great time. The Neversoft team dove into skate culture. They were taking a company trip to Skate Street Skate Park once a week. They had a kickflip challenge in their office. I mean, they they were living it. Tony also brings in Rodney Mullen, an iconic skater who invented some of the most well known tricks the on the ground Ollie, the kickflip, heel flip. Mullen shows off his skills firsthand. He would just go out in the parking lot and just start busting out all these tricks and we would just film them right then and there and use that as reference for the animations of the game because Rodney, you know, 
is just an amazing athlete. It was like, it's like being at skate school for nine months. It was awesome. And how did you guys manage to sort of balance that authenticity with the fun side of it? It's kind of like a fantasy version of skateboarding in a way, but it's like all the building blocks are there and the fundamental tricks are all real. But the way you move through the level and everything, it's more like what you wish skateboarding could be. Like skaters, they want to be aggressive. They wish they could skate lines that would like, you know, go on for days and never end and never, you know, bail or or whatever. Pease and West stumble upon this more open style of skating in development of the game. They want levels to show a more street style of skateboarding, where you could mess around in a warehouse or random city park rather than just flying downhill. Really leaning into the more kind of open world aspects and that kind of, you know, happened more and more as the series progressed. It became a hallmark of it. So the look is coming together. The gameplay too. But what about the sound? Here's Tony Hawk. That went hand in hand with skateboarding, punk rock and skateboarding. So he suggested some music to include in the game. Primus, Goldfinger, The Dead Kennedys. Watch any skate video, the music is a huge part of it, right? Like the soundtrack, it fits the personality of the skater and all that. So we knew that had to be a part of it. But games just don't do that around this time. It's more like this. After all, storage on games in the 90s is very limited. There's no room for recorded sound. But with games now coming on a CD, that extra memory could be used for the perfect soundtrack. Can we do it? Let's see it. On June 27, 1999, just three months before the game is released, Tony Hawk is back at the X Games. Okay, everybody, we want to hear everybody in the house right now. He's returned after meddling every year since 95. Hawk is about to try one of the most technically difficult tricks on Earth. The 900. Two and a half full spins. Everybody's cheering him on, including the best skateboarders in the world. He spins once, twice, and falls. So close. The closest I've ever seen in my life, The crowd starts chanting the number nine. After 10 failed attempts, he nails it. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's just this, this magical, amazing moment that captured so many people's imaginations. He's swarmed by fans and he throws his fist into the air with a huge smile on his face. And we stuck the 900 in the game. Tony Hawk is already famous. But now, he's a sensation. Like, right as our game is poised to come out, Tony, who's already relevant, goes and hits the trick of his career and lifetime, like one of the most legendary moments in skateboarding history, does that like right as our game is on the cusp of releasing. So that was just like a huge, incredible piece of luck. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. On September 29th, 1999, the game is officially released. Its debut is unmemorable. Today, there would be that moment when a virtual store refreshes and the game is suddenly available to millions. Back then, places like Blockbuster would have to stock the game in-store. There weren't lines around the block, though. Nobody dressed like Tony Hawk waiting to buy the game. Slowly but surely, the sales start to build. It just kept building and building and building and selling more and more and more. And we were just watching it going, oh, my God, what is what's going on here? This is, you know, this is awesome. What was it like, you know, watching it slowly ascend or maybe not even slowly, but begin to become popular and grow and grow and grow over the course of time? It was great. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yeah, it's all your hard work. It's, it pays off. Just the fact that the first game was doing really well kind of guaranteed our future. And it does. The success of the first Tony Hawk's Pro Skater cements a future for the company. Activision scoots them up in a buyout. The game changes the lives of its featured skaters. And Tony Hawk's life too. I no longer had to kind of scrape by and, and take every odd job to provide for a family. And there were new opportunities and ways to promote skateboarding that I never imagined. It changed my life, but also changed the trajectory of, of skating's popularity. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater becomes a bestseller in front of more established franchises like Pokemon, Sonic, and Sega's NFL game. Activision had aimed to sell 250,000 units. It sells more than 5 million copies across all platforms. It was all just a, an amazing surprise. The magazine Game Informer awards the title Best PlayStation Game of 1999, Best Action Game, and Best Playability. They call it True Gaming Zen. At some point, I remember running into a mom and, and she said, are you Tony Hawk? I said, yeah. She goes, my son thinks that you're named after the game. <laughs> I mean, that's how successful it got. In the months following Pro Skater's release, Activision scoops up Neversoft and the studio can get started right away on the sequel. And soon enough, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is born. Neversoft changes the way the levels are laid out, improves the graphics, tries out a new trick system. And in 2000, somehow, Pro Skater 2 does even better than the first. It kept getting more accolades and embraced each time even more. In fact, Metacritic, a review aggregator, 
has Pro Skater 2 as the second highest rated game of all time on any platform. They say it stands out as, quote, one of the last truly fantastic games to be released on the PlayStation. In 2001, the third comes out, then a fourth, a fifth. Today, there are 12 different iterations of the game. The franchise has generated a billion and a half dollars in sales. Everybody played a game, it was everywhere. This is Ludwig Gur, the young Swedish creator of Pretending I'm a Superman, a film about Tony Hawk's pro skater franchise. Gur remembers the first time he played it. He was totally addicted. I wasn't sure if it was like a hoverboard or not, but I think my mom kind of explained <laughs> to me. So, I mean, like, why, why did you want to make a movie about the topic in particular? I was just always into it, you know, in the sense that I thought it was such an amazing story that this video game essentially turned like the mainstream audience into skateboarders because it wasn't just a video game for gamers. Like the video game itself became popular enough that it sort of got an audience, you know, beyond just gamers. And then those people started skateboarding and I just didn't understand why no one had documented it. One of Gur's biggest takeaways, the game's success stems from its authenticity. They weren't like this big company that had no respect for skaters and just said, oh, like, we're, no, we're going to make this game. The next factor in making the game so special sounds kind of silly, but it's hard to ignore. The game is just fun. I think that was the magic, right? Because if you could make an incredibly authentic game, but if it wasn't fun to play or if it was frustrating or fiddly or whatever, then it would not have hit, right? It was kind of the magic of that fun pick-up-and-play gameplay and then this authentic layering on top of it, blending those two things together. That was actually an argument within the company. Sometimes people would say, oh, we want to be more realistic. So I think that uh, when you fall over, your energy should go down. Or you know, if you bail, then your, your board should break a little bit and your skills should degrade because that's more realistic. It might be realistic, but it, it's not fun. Nobody wants to experience the pain of skateboarding. It's still a fun time no matter how good you are at the game, and that's what makes Tony Hawk, the video game, so special to me, I think. This is Kofi Yaboa, a well-known video game critic for the website Secret Base. It seems simple on the core, but it has a really high skill ceiling. After like maybe 10, 15 minutes, be like, oh, I did this cool thing, you know? And it feels like this like constant self-discovery is what just like sets it apart from a lot of other sports games. For Tony Hawk, what ultimately makes this game so special is its replayability. You can keep coming back to it, finding new challenges, getting better at your techniques, very much like skateboarding. It is so aligned with real skateboarding. Which, you know, that's why I've been skating over 40 years, because there's always something new to learn. The game's soundtrack also takes on a life of its own. Ludwig Gert. Essentially, these kind of Southern California ska punk bands that were totally unknown in like Europe, essentially, like became hugely popular because of the video game. The authenticity of everything, including the music, created this sort of escape for players. One visual artist named Luke Pelletier said it was a place with, quote, no parents, no rules, no limits, just fun. That game created a paradise. How often do you hear from people about how great the music was within the games and how much it impacted them? 
I, I hear it a lot. Hey, I'm, to this day, people will tell me that the, the video game series changed the way they think about music and directed them into a whole different way of life in a lot of ways. And I do hear that quite a bit, and, and I'm proud of it. Our show opened up a voicemail line to hear from people about what they love about the Tony Hawk games. And to no one's surprise, many pointed out the soundtrack. The first thing I thought of was the audio, both the soundtracks. I think it would be a shame not to mention the soundtracks. And in my, in my case, my branches and branches of music taste did stem a lot of times from, from what was on those games. I still pop on the Tony Hawk soundtracks from time to time when I need a mood boost. To these listeners and many others, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack is timeless even today. Writers across the world credit the series for influencing how future video games utilize music. In the age before Spotify, Tony Hawk found a way to sneak punk music into kids' living rooms. Cooper McKim, the producer of this episode, remembers. I had never heard music like that before. I don't know how you would as a kid. Like, if your parents weren't listening to it or something, and they were not, (laughs) how would I have found out about it? That was like all of middle school was just thinking I was so cool. With all of this in mind, it's easy to imagine why a game that could have flown under the radar has such wide appeal and brought skateboarding to the masses. It established skateboarding as not just a genre of video games, but also something that kids will readily choose to participate in as much as baseball or soccer. It inspired a new generation of people to start skating, and especially ones that are underprivileged. Hawk says skateboarding used to be something for misfits and outcasts. It wasn't cool. And then suddenly, it was. That simply wouldn't have happened without the game. The Tony Hawk games inspired an entire generation of young people to skate. Countless pro skateboarders grew up playing Tony Hawk and connected with developing their love of the sport. Our producer, Cooper McKim again. But exposed that subculture in a way that that felt to an impressionable kid could have gone wrong, but I think it just got me out of my box a little bit in a really healthy way. Cooper started skateboarding because of it, moved away from the polos and towards the baggy clothes. Hawk says the game changed how people skateboarded, period. Pro skater Shane O'Neill has said that he used the games as a tool to learn tricks. The tricks that they're doing now, or even just 10 years ago, were tricks that we thought were completely impossible in real life. The games heralded a new era for skateboarding, a mainstream one. That growth has helped bring skateboarding to the highest tier of sports, appearing for the first time as an event in the Olympics in 2020. Hawk lobbied for its inclusion, but he also says the Olympics may need skateboarding more than vice versa. They needed something for the youth. They needed a cool factor. And skateboarding has many more participants than a lot of the Olympic disciplines. You could definitely argue that without Tony Hawk's pro skater, skateboarding never gets to the Olympics. But ultimately, its legacy is larger than that. It will go down as one of the best video games ever. It's a sports game that really just gets everything right. 
and it's it's just a just a lightning in a bottle just over and over and over but just like repeatedly lightning striking the same bottle and it's just it's just great it's a great time it's a great experience and so much fun it's one of my proudest accomplishments accomplishment it's one of my it's one of the proudest accomplishments of my career for sure awesome thanks tony appreciate it man <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable stories that happened this week? 1955. The World Series is broadcast in color on television for the first time as NBC Sports airs the Yankees versus the Dodgers. 1985. Houston Oilers quarterback Warren Moon is sacked 12 times, tying an NFL record in a 17-10 loss to the Dallas Cowboys. If you want to get in touch, please shoot us an email at our email address, sportspod at history.com. We'd love to hear from our fans. And non-fans, too. Special thanks to our guests, Tony Hawk, pro skateboarder, Scott Peace, former studio development director at Neversoft Entertainment, Mick West, co-founder of Neversoft Entertainment, Ludwig Gerr, director of Pretending I'm a Superman, and Kofi Yaboa, engagement editor at Secret Base. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim. It was story edited by me, Kaylin Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Inger. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dixney. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.